Matthew 14, verses 13 through 19. And it reads this way. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, talking about Jesus. And then verse 19, he directed, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, he broke the loaves, and then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Come on, let's pray. Father, we're grateful, we're thankful for this moment. God, thank you for this time. God, this space that we share together. God, thank you for the reason that you have us here. God, we're not here for a TED Talk, Lord, or an opinion. God, we're here for your word. Now, Holy Spirit, I need you. We inv- I invite you. That the words I say, uh, Lord, are the words that you have ordained for us to hear. Not of my thought, not of my opinion, but of your word. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for what you're doing in us, for what you want to do through us. And over these next few moments, Lord, we take this posture and we say, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said, come on, come on. Everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Family, when problems exist in the world, God uses people as a way to bring a solution. When problems exist in the world, God uses people to bring about a solution. He uses, here's the cool thing in the way in which he uses people or how he decides to use people. He will use people regardless of their story. He will use people regardless of their past. He'll use people regardless of their promise. And you should really love this one. He'll use people regardless of what others think about them. God chooses to use people when there is a problem in the world to bring about a solution. He uses people. And scripture is filled with many examples of God using people that others may have not considered or expected for him to use them. You could look at Abraham. He says, yo, I'm going to give you and your wife a son. Abraham's like, yes, I'm old. God's like, watch what I'm, do- what I'm going to do. And he becomes the father of many nations. God used him. God used Noah. Noah was a drunk, but guess what? God used him. Jonah, he ran from God, but yet God used him. Gideon was insecure when God called him, but still God used him. David wasn't even considered by his own father, but yet God used him. Rahab was a prostitute, but guess what? God used her. Miriam was a gossiper, but guess what? God used her. Paul was a murderer, but guess what? God used him. The thing that I'm trying to get us to understand this morning is that God uses people, and he uses us with all of our flaws, all of our issues, all of our story. He looks at your mess, and he says, guess what? I could turn that to a message of my faithfulness and my 
my ability of what I can do. God uses people. When there's a problem, when he wants to bring a solution to a problem in the world, he uses people. So we can't sit here and say we don't have anything to offer. We don't have anything to bring to the table. God says, no, all the problems, all the issues in your life, it's the perfect stage for me to use you. Now, you may be asking, so what are you saying with all that you just listed? Are you saying that God excuses bad behavior, that he excuses terrible, terrible acts? No, it's to say and show what God can do in and through a submitted life to him. That with all of our issues, all of our struggles, all of what our story is, all of our past, that we say, Lord, I'm submitting that to you and I'm making myself available, then we realize this, that God can redeem anything and anyone. And the things that the enemy said would take you out is the very thing that would become your story in the platform that shows the world what God can do. Are you tracking with me this morning? When there's a problem in the world, God uses people to bring a solution. Look at the children of Israel. Here they are, where once they enjoyed this great partnership with Egypt. No longer is it a great partnership anymore. Instead, they find themselves enslaved. They find themselves in bondage in Egypt. And so what does God do to that problem? Because his people are crying out for deliverance. And what does God do? He raises up Moses to be a deliverer to bring his people up out of Egypt. Can I tell you, family, that there was a cry here in the city of Huntsville and Madison, the surrounding areas, for a community that would look like the becoming church, but it didn't exist. So what did God do to answer the problem, answer the cry of his people? He raised up a community called the becoming church to be a solution here in this city. Was it about that no other community could meet that? No, God says, no, it needed to be an expression of my heart, my love, and who I am in this city. And so he raised up the becoming church. So that's why we need you and all your story and all of who you are, what makes you you to be a part of this so we can show this area and beyond. Hey, guess what? God can use you because he's doing something in my life. Are you tracking with me this morning? And can I tell you, that's why we need you on the serve team. <laughs> Come on now, don't, don't let them amens get quiet now on me. But that's why we need you on the serve team because this is not about what one can do. But this is about what we can do. This is about being part of the collective. But can I tell you, as a church community, <clears throat> we are meeting needs. That we are allowing ourselves to be a solution to the problems that exist here in the city, even in such a time as a church. And yesterday, now we, we exemplify that through the mobile food pantry. That, gosh, over 100 of us at least came out to serve and be a part of that. And the meaning of you gave, which allowed for that to happen. But we were able to feed 1,500 individuals, provide groceries for an entire week to people. Can I tell you, 50% of the people that were in line were people who had never done anything like that. That was their first time to be in that spot. And here we were being a solution to a problem, showing up to serve, saying, Lord, here we are to meet a need. And it's not that what we did yesterday would solve the issue of whatever led someone to be in that line yesterday. But what it did was to show them hope, 
was to show them that there is Jesus who sees you, that there are people who follow him and trust him, who want to be a part of the solution of pointing you to hope, the one who can meet and bring and fulfill everything you need in your life. But listen, all of what we've done, all of what we've been a part of, all of what we've participated in, this is only the beginning. Hear me. This is only the beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg, that there's so much more for us to do in this city. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man. God is going to use this community of people to make a difference here in this city. It is not to talk about, hear me, it's not to talk about how good, how great, how awesome the Becoming Church is, but it's about what a submitted life can do in making a difference here. What can God do with just one life? What could God do with just one? Yes, one person that says, yes, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I trust you. What could God do? And so this is only the beginning. We're just getting started. There's still more people to feed. There's more people to serve. There's more people to pray for. There's more people to believe in. There's more people to look at the ones that other has discarded and say, no, you're called of God. No, you were created in his image. So I'm not going to speak to the mess that, you were cre- that you're in, but instead I'm going to speak to the image that you were created in, which is the image of God, because there's purpose in you. There's destiny in you. There's hope in you and we have to be the ones that remind others or inform others of who they are in Christ this is the beginning of that because what is our mission of a church to help people live closer to God so we're saying Lord help us remove the barriers that have traditionally hindered people from getting close to God so some people say, well, you're that church that plays movies in November. What's that about? Listen, we're not concerned about the optics of what you may think that looks like. We're saying, no, we're trying to get the people who would never come in here to connect and hear the story of God and then be saved and be mobilized to do the same for others. This is just the tip of the iceberg. So buckle up, get ready. We're only getting started. That's what the bricklayers offering is about. It's about coming together to see how can we go above and beyond and meeting needs in here, excuse me, in the city, and accelerating the vision of God's church for this area and beyond. Because there's plenty of vision here, and generosity becomes the wheels that move the vision of the church forward. We have to continue to be a church that makes a difference. Because... Right now, if tomorrow the Becoming Church didn't exist, I have concerns that people wouldn't know that we were ever here. So my prayer is like, Lord, let us be committed to your vision of this church that if we weren't here, the city would know it. I I, I need the mayor to know it. I, I need the city officials to know it. Not because we've talked about how good we are, because when there's a need, they're calling to become a church and saying, yo, can y'all send folks to meet this need? Are y'all, y'all tracking with me this morning? Y'all see where the vision is? It's saying, Lord, how can we come to, because it's, it's an Acts 2 model. What do we see in Acts 2? It was the community meeting the needs of others. So we can bypass the government. 
and we can look around this room and say, yo, you got a need, we're going to meet that. You got a need, we're going to meet that. You got a need, we're going to meet that. That's, that's how the church was birthed, and that's the model in which we still need to live in and live out today. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Now, you say, yo, that's a lot of vision. And I'm like, yes, it is. God doesn't do small vision. And when we look at it, we can say, well, how can we do that? Well, we need to, under, we need to understand this, is that all we have is all we need. You say, I don't have enough. That's not going to be enough to accomplish that. I understand this. All we have is all we need. What God has placed in our hands, what God has supplied, what God has given, all we have is all we need. And I think that might come up on the screen. Is that going to pop up? Did it do it already? All we need is all we have. All we have is all we need. Say it however you want it. My point is this. What God puts in our hands is enough. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? They got on me earlier. They said, you messed that up last service. I said, listen, I don't know. I know this. Whatever God placed in our hands, it's enough. <laughs> Help the preacher. So to give a little context to this text in, in Matthew 14, what's happened is John the Baptist, uh, he's been killed. He's been murdered. And he was murdered by Herod because Herod got himself in a situation where he made this oath that he had to keep. Have you ever been in a situation where you said something and then you were called to it and you're like, man, now I got to do it. Well, this, this is that moment uh, for him. And what that was was to take John out of prison and kill him. He was beheaded. And what happens next is that the news gets to Jesus and Jesus goes off to a solitary place when he hears this news about John the Baptist. And you may ask, well, why would, he, why would Jesus do that? Well, because John the Baptist was significant to Jesus. They were cousins. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, they were pregnant at the same time. And Scripture uh, even tells us that when Elizabeth and, and Mary were in each other's presence, that John the Baptist, inside his mother's womb, he, he leapt when he felt that Mary was around because Jesus was in there. So it was, they were close. It was, they were cousins. There was a relationship. And so Jesus, he's struggling in, in dealing with that and processing that. And so he goes off to a solitary place. But look what happens next in Matthew 14. It says when Jesus, he sees a large crowd, what did he do? He had compassion on them. So here it is in his moment of processing the loss of his cousin that he was close with, he yet still had compassion on people. He was still able to see needs and be moved even in his pain and disappointment on how he could meet that need. And this word compassion, it's much, it means much more than whatever came to our minds when you just heard it. It's much more than, than sympathy, but it's actually, in this sense, it's used to describe the, the literal uh, stirring of one's inner being. It's, it's, there's no pretty way to say it. It's having an extreme bowel movement. I told you there was no pretty way to saying it. 
But that's what it, he felt, the level of compassion that he literally, his inner beings were stirred. So this is much more than just he was sympathetic in a moment. But he was stirred in such a way. It's the type of stirring that says, listen, I can't sit here while I see this need over there. What is that teaching us? It's teaching us to say, yes, there are going to be moments that the Lord is calling us to meet a need when there are needs in our lives. That there are moments where the Lord is calling us to have compassion towards others when there are moments in our life where we may be experiencing some deep, dark pain, hurt, and disappointment, he is still calling us to a place of compassion to say, there's no way that I can sit here when I see that need over there. Are you tracking with me this morning? And so what I want us to understand today is that we can respond in the same way that Jesus did. That whatever we need, we have. That all we have is all we need. And here's the first observation I want to make this morning as we track through this. Is that we have something to give. We have something to give. Look at Matthew 14, verse 16. He says this, you give them something to eat. Because in verse 15, the disciples are like, yo, it's getting late. Try and get to the house. Go ahead, send them on. Let them get them something to eat. It's getting late. There's nothing. It's a remote area. There's nothing to eat out here. Send them on their way. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You give them something to eat. You know, family, we are like the disciples sometimes. Oftentimes, we can fall victim to this belief that we don't have anything to offer. We can see the need. Then we can look at what we have. And then we can settle into this mindset that we don't have enough. It's like, man, I really hate that that's going on over there, but from what I have, I, I, I can't do anything about it. And can I tell you, maybe that's right because we're looking at it in the wrong context. We're looking at it from this way of what I can do. When the Lord is saying you should be looking at it from this way, what we can do. Because, yes, if we look at what exists in the world and the problems and, and it's about what I can do, can I tell you, yeah, it's overwhelming. But when we look at it from a perspective of we, of what we can do, of what we can do together, then we see what the need is. And together, yeah, it looks like we can take this on. It's pushing this idea that we are not called to go alone, but we're called to go together. As we said a couple of weeks ago, that if you want to go fast, sure, go alone. But if you want to go further, go together. And we are called the what? The body of Christ, meaning we are supposed to do this together. God has not set us on an isolated mission, but he has set us on a mission together. When he gave the disciples the great commission, it wasn't just for one single individual, but it was for the collective. He says, look, therefore you, you go as disciples, as followers of Jesus, go and make other disciples. This is not about what the individual can do. But oftentimes, <clears throat> we, we can think, well, I'm, I'm smarter, I'm faster, I'm better, I'm wiser, I'm creative, I got it, I'll just do it. And then we wonder, where's God's blessing? Because I, well, God, you gave me all these abilities. 
you gave me all this talent and, and all this, this gifting. How come this is, is not progressing? Well, Psalms tells us this, that where there is unity, the Lord commands a blessing. So he's saying the reason, Psalm 130, 133, the reason why you're not seeing the results you want is because you have this mindset about what you can do. But instead, if you would take the talent, the gifting, the treasure, and you would connect with the body of believers, connect with the community, you will see what you can do together because where there is unity, I command a blessing. So we don't go alone, but we go together. Bricklayers is not about what one can do, but it's about what we can do. This is not about an individual, but this is about the collective. Look at 1 Peter 2.5. It says, you also, living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are like living stones. We are like bricks. We can live our life as a brick, but the way we live our life as a brick is important because we live our life Catch, Matthew. It's, it's, it's fake. <laughs> Y'all had some concerns. Everyone here for the first time was like, what kind of church is this? But this brick, isolated by itself and me holding it in my hand, this is not good. You see somebody walking with a, a, a single brick, an isolated brick, like, yo, you can smash out a window with this brick. You can hit somebody upside the head with this brick. Like there are some things that you can do that are not good with an isolated brick. You see somebody walking down your neighborhood, you getting on the HOA page on Facebook saying, yo, watch out, somebody walking down the street with a brick. An isolated brick is not good. But think about a brick that's no longer isolated, but it's part of the collective. When they're bricking a home, it's a single brick, but it's joining in with other bricks to provide a structure called a home. And I understand we have different experiences with home, but what home is intended to be is a place of safety, a place of nurture, a place of comfort, a place of growth, a place where you can make mistakes and learn, a place where you can see all that you could become. That's why in the the logo of this church, you see a house Because that's what it's supposed to be. It's a community, a place of all those things where we can grow progressively into becoming who God has called us to become. But isolated, we can't do that. It's destruction. But it's together where we can grow and become this spiritual house that God has called us to become. Because it's this idea. We are not called to go at it alone, but we are called to go at it together. So, yes, we have something to give. When all of us, with what we have, we bring it to the table, which leads me to my next observation. Bring what you have to Jesus. So he tells them, you give them something. And then verse 17, he says, this is what they say. This is their response. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. And then he says, well, bring them here to me. Can I tell you, family? Bringing what you have to Jesus is the breeding ground for the miraculous. Choosing to take what you have, to bring what you have, it sets the stage 
for the miraculous to happen. And this is just not something to say in the middle of a message to move the message forward, but this is a reality. This is what we see in Scripture. Look at the Gospels. The, the lame were brought to Jesus, and they walked again. The blind were brought to Jesus, and they could see again. The sick were brought to Jesus, and they were healed again. The hungry were brought to Jesus, and they were fed again. The demon-possessed were brought to Jesus, and they were delivered. Listen, God do, does miracles when we bring what we have to Jesus. So what is it in your life that you haven't brought to Jesus that the miraculous can happen? What problem are you holding on to? What struggle are you holding on to? The Lord says, bring it to me, and it sets the stage for the miraculous to occur. Because when we bring what we have to Jesus, it sets the stage for, the, for miracles. Are you tracking with me this morning? But what gets... In the way, what often gets in the way of us bringing what we have to Jesus? Can I tell you it's pride? Because we say, oh, I can't do that. What will the optics look like? What they going to say on social? What they going to say at my job? What will my family say when I've always said this, but now I'm doing this? So pride keeps us from bringing what we have to Jesus, and we miss the miraculous. Okay, well, maybe it's not pride. Maybe it's insecurity because of whatever way of perception of, of, of us and, and, and the way we want to be perceived and whatever image we're trying to keep up or, or maybe we're so concerned about what we don't have and, and, and who we are and all these things. For whatever reason, we can't bring it. What is this fear? That fear imprisons us. That fear, it, it, it freezes us. And we can't, and we're not bringing what we have. Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's doubt. Whatever it is, what is it, family, that, that we're not bringing to Jesus to allow the miraculous to happen? And maybe it is disappointment because you've heard this before. You, you've heard bring what you have to Jesus because it's the, it's the breeding ground for the miraculous. And, and you did, but you didn't see the miracle happen. You didn't see take place what you believed for, and so now you're in this place of disappointment. Can I just say this? What if the miracle wasn't supposed to be in your situation, but it was supposed to be in you, and the fact that you can now see what God has worked in your life, despite the fact that what you believed for didn't happen? What if the miracle, the miracle is you still trust God, you still serve God, you still love God, you still believe in his word, despite the fact that what you believe for did not happen. What if that's the miracle? Now, you may say, yeah, but I believe for that, and it didn't happen. Can I tell you, there's this, there's this thing that says, listen, if God is going to be God, we have to allow him to be God and trust that there may be things that he doesn't reveal to us in this moment, but there's another moment where he'll reveal something to us, and we go back and we say, oh, I get it now. 
And you say, but what about the pain that I felt in that moment? But that moment where that, oh, I get it now, it wipes away all that pain that you felt in that moment. And the only thing that you can express of what you feel is this place of awe that only the Lord has brought you to in this moment. And I believe that there's some of you in this room today that you felt some, some heartbreaking moments, some pain, some disappointment. And it's only by the grace of God that you can lift your hands. It's only by the grace of God that you can sing the song. It's only by the grace of God that you can praise, that you can worship. Because there are things that God does and that he allows that we will not see the answer to in the way that we want to. But I think the miraculous is when we choose to accept that and allow him to be God. And so maybe if you're in that place this morning, maybe the miracle is a miracle in motion. Because you're like, I don't always feel it, but I'm trying. Come on, we, we, we got to, that's a revelation that we need this morning. Because I think sometimes we've, we've grown up or we think the expression of faith is that we always feel it. But listen, it's not in our feelings. It's like, Lord, this is hard this morning, but I'm going to lift my hands and surrender anyway. Lord, this is difficult this morning, but I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe. And I'm gonna, can I tell you that God can work something with a maybe faith? That God can work something, I may, I, I think you'll do something with it, that I think you will change this. God works with those. He just wants us at the place of surrender and allowing us to, seeing us to bring what we have to him. And he says, watch what I do, what only I can do. Y'all tracking with me this morning? And here's the final observation I want us to make. So we have to understand that we have something to give. And then when we get that understanding, we need to bring it to Jesus and then here's the final observation. Why? So that we can participate in the miracle. So here's verse 19. So taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. I said this last week, that the Bible isn't a collection of writings about us, but rather a collection of writings informing us on the character and on the nature of God. And what we see in Scripture, here's what we see when it comes to the character of God, to his nature, meaning his essence, who he is, is this. He's a provider. God is a provider. In fact, one of the covenant names of God is Jehovah Jireh, meaning this, the God who provides. That we see in Genesis where God has promised Isaac uh, to Ab Abraham and his wife in their old age and now they, they have Isaac, and God says, listen, I want you to present him as a sacrifice to me, which has to be mind-blowing. It's like, okay, but this is the son that you promised me, then you gave me in my old age. This doesn't make sense. But yet, he does it anyway. I wonder, what can God do if we have a mindset that says, I don't understand it, but yet I'm going to do it anyway? Lord, this don't make sense, but yet I'm going to do it anyway. I need to move on. But yet, he goes up the mountain. And right in the moment where he's preparing, there's so much in this. Because we also got to talk about the faith of Isaac. He wasn't six. His dad was old. He could say, bruh, not today. <laughs> but there's something that he had to see in his father and how he trusted the Lord. And something had to stir up in him that says, this don't make sense. But God is, but dad has always trusted God and God has always come through so I got to believe he's going to come through in this moment. And I bet when he was laying down in that altar, he was like, God, right now is a good moment. You can come through. 
But he did because the angel of the Lord appears and says, Abraham, don't touch the boy. And that there was a ram in the bush that was provided. And that's the moment on Mount Moriah where we understand that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. But listen, he provides in ways that supersedes our ability to understand. Now, I understand the community that we live in, and we're analytical. And that right there, that's difficult to get. That's difficult to say God provides in ways that supersedes our ability to understand. Because in our analytical minds, we're like, no, if it's 10 widgets, then here's the output. If I put this in, then this is what needs to come out. But can I tell you, if we get so caught up in us having the understanding and us being able to to have logic around something and reasoning and, and be able to analyze, we miss the miraculous. Because as Paul says in his letter to the church in Corinth, it's like, who are we to give God advice? Who are we to tell God how to be God? And, and so instead, we need to step back and allow God to provide in ways that only he can provide. And here's what it looks like. It looks like obedience. It looks like responding with obedience to what God said. Because Abraham only got the provision when he obeyed. If he didn't obey, he would not have saw the provision. But most of us, we want the provision first before we choose to obey. So God calls us to something, and then our analytical mind gets in it, and we say, well, Lord, let me see how you're going to do it before I decide if I'm going to do it. But he's saying that's not how it works. Provision comes after obedience. Obedience first, provision next. God says, your job is to obey. My job is outcome. But we get in trouble when we're so consumed with the outcome that we dismiss obedience. And sometimes you're going to find yourself obeying God when it it really doesn't make sense. Can I just flat out tell you? It, it, It will not make sense. But it makes God. It makes the miraculous. It makes faith. And the experts will tell you you're messing up. Experts will tell you this is not how you do that. This is how you do it. But when you have a word from God, your job is to obey. And guess what the experts are going to come back later? They're going to say, how would you do that? You're going to say, I did it because of obedience. I did it because I trusted God. We have to obey. It sets the stage for the miraculous. And and listen, the way God provides, it supersedes logic. You look at Gideon. The Lord says, hey, Gideon, I'm raising you up. I want you to free my people from oppression that they're under with the Midianites. And team, if you guys come help me land this plane. And Gideon's like, okay, cool. So what kind of army I have with me? 100,000 soldiers? Yeah, 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 that looks good. We We can do something with that. Lord says, my math is different. I'm going to bring that all the way down to 10,000 soldiers. Gideon's like, you kidding me? I'm already insecure in the first place. It took me a while to get here. Judge the six, go read it. It took me a while to get to this moment. But the Lord says, trust me, obey, and watch what I do. Or what about, what about David? Saul, King Saul, he has a whole army at his disposal to face this giant giant called Goliath. But yet not a single soldier wanted to face this Goliath, this giant. 
But who defeated him? A teenage boy with five little smooth stones only used one? Took out a giant. Doesn't make sense. What about this moment where Peter was asked, yo, how come you and and Jesus, y'all whole crew, y'all don't pay the temple tax? And Jesus here in the conversation, he says, Peter, look, go to the water, pull the fish out of the water, open his mouth, and there's two coins in the fish. Go ahead, pay the little tax. I don't know about y'all, but but the coins are not just supposed to be in the fish mouth. What's the point that I'm making? Is that God provides in ways that supersedes our logic. And so if you find yourself up against the wall, don't quit, don't give up. If you feel like God is calling you to do something and it's God and it doesn't make sense, it doesn't check the the logic check, but it's God, do it. Because it sets the stage for us to participate in the miracles and what happens. Oh, let me say it this way. God's way of providing isn't black and white, but it's miraculous. But here's what he does. He shows us the blueprint. So when Jesus said, bring it to me, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And what did he do? He looked up to heaven. He gave thanks. And he blessed the food before it was passed out. But how many of us, we're missing the miracle because we're too busy complaining about the provision. Lord, I know just a couple years ago, I was single. I ain't never think I was going to find nobody. And you brought him. But Lord, how come he ain't handy? We always got to call somebody. Come on. Or, well, I mean, Lord, she cool, but I thought her cooking was going to be different. He's like, you can cook too. So here we are. We forget what we didn't have and then what God has provided. Then we find ourselves complaining. But maybe that's the job. Maybe that's, man, I wish they would go to sleep at night. But he says, but you prayed for this child when you didn't think you could have one. So thank God for the screaming, baby, come on. And when you find out whatever that is for you, because it's a blessing. But we can't see the blessing as a burden because that's the thing that God wants to use to bring the provision. So they saw the bread and the two fish and they complained about it. They said it wasn't enough, but that was the very thing that God wanted to use to bring the miracle through. So we have to get rid of the complaining and turn our complaining to thanking. Lord, I thank you for my spouse. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my children. I thank you for this job. I thank you for this house because it's only by your grace and I'm not going to curse what you're trying to bless because the miracle is in what you have provided because all we have is all we need and when we bring it to Jesus we set the stage for the miraculous to occur come on church can you give God some praise right there because when they got that revelation guess what happened Jesus gave the bread to them and the fish to them and they participated in the miraculous. But he had to get this in them so he can do that through them. Take your complaining to thanking and watch the miraculous occur. So here we are this morning. Lord, we're not complaining that we're setting up and breaking down in this school. 
we thanking God because we're in this school. Because people have said yes to Jesus. They've been baptized. Community is happening. Things are going. So we're thanking God for this. And because we are, he's allowing us to participate in the miracle. What is that thing in your life that he says, I want to bring you from complaining to thanking so that you can participate in the miracle because Jesus could have just gave it, but instead he gave it to the disciples so that they could pass it out. And as they pass it out, it wasn't just enough family, but it was more than enough. Why? Because all we have is all we need. Say it the other way. All we need is all we have. Come on. 